Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to another amazing episode of In It for the Long Run. This is your host, Trana Smokombe, reporting live from Chicago, Illinois. And you already know who it is on the other side of the, the, the microphone here. Claudia, would you like to say hi? How's it going, Trinus? It's going good. Woof. This is this is it. This is the final chat before the race. Which which makes me a little bit nervous, I'm not gonna lie. I, I feel I don't know. I feel angsty. Maybe this is a good transition into race updates. Yeah, I've I'm kind of dreading this conversation because I don't have any good news. But I, I mean, I know that I even like pushed this out a few days since the interview that we did. <laughs> but here we are, nonetheless. So time just keeps on moving and the clock just keeps on ticking. So yeah, for better or for worse, that so we're gonna <laughs> gonna be running this race. It's coming up. But no, I feel like I'm. If we're gonna go back to the Matt Byer scale, I'd say I'm at like a solid seven, where I don't know what it's gonna be like because I've never run a full marathon before, and the most I've done is about twenty miles, to be fair. But at the same time, what what could possibly go wrong? <laughs> so I, I am kind of hopping into it with that kind of optimistic mindset, and honestly, an excitement to to kind of get it over with, for lack of a better term. It's been building up over a couple months, so when you finally get to the final week, you're just you're kind of ready to go. Yeah, I think that I sort of fell off my training plan when I took a trip to Italy with my mom, which was very fun, but did not do much running. I did do some walking or quite a bit of walking, but that's not quite the same. And so it will be interesting to see my confidence levels quite a bit lower than I would like it to be at. I'm also remembering our guest that mentioned the running suicide thoughts that happened before a race. I just remember talking, you know, back a while ago to one, on one of our episodes with Viviana Metza, who is quite the marathon runner now and she kind of reflected upon her experience usually like before you know a week or two before the race having these suicide thoughts and feeling like oh I just can't do it and I definitely am relating to this story a lot it is somewhat comforting to know that that is normal for a lot of people so I'm trying to take comfort in the fact that I'm probably not alone in these thoughts and doubts. No, 100%. I think anyone's mind could possibly be there, but as we did with our challenge, you got this, I got this, we got this. So let's let's hop into it. Arms wide open, I'm, I'm excited. And transitioning into that, I think we have someone else to talk to before our run as well. His name is Justin Jellin. And Dr. Justin Jellin earned his doctorate of physical therapy at the University of the Pacific, and he has an undergraduate degree in sports sciences. We're super excited to talk to him today. All right. It's good. So, hello, everybody. On the podcast today, we have Dr. Justin Jellin. He earned his doctorate of physical therapy at the University of Pacific, 
and has an undergraduate degree in sports sciences. He also has a clinical practice and he's the program director of Runatomy, a running gait analysis clinic at G Sports Physical Therapy in San Francisco. Uh, Justin, welcome to the podcast. Well, thanks so much for having me. It's a pleasure to talk with you both today. Great. Uh, we'll kick things off just to get to know our guest a little better with our usual segment, which is Two Truths and a Lie, otherwise known as That's a Stretch. You know, I'd say whoever loses has to do 100 burpees. Okay. Boom. Yeah, that applies directly to the running. It'll get us fit. I, I love it. 100 burpees. Done. Okay, two truths and a lie. I'll hand it over to you. Yeah, well, two truths and a lie. Let me think here. I'll give one truth or lie, and that the first one would be that I exercise six days a week. And then my second truth would be, or my second truth or lie, I'll say, is that I did not prep for this too well. Let me think here. My second uh, truth or lie is that I play musical instruments. I play both guitar and trumpet. And then my third is I would say, I'm going to tell both of you, I am not good at lying at all. I am not good at lying. You're going to know which one was the lie or is the lie. I, 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 all right. My, my third one is that I absolutely love camping. 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 Yes. Okay. My evaluation is that you work in PT, and anytime I've known anyone that's in PT, basically work out every day for your job. So at least you work five times, work out five times a week, minimum, is my thought. I was in band, and I think you do look like a trumpet player. So I'm going to say that's true. <laughs> that's a good thing. I always wanted to be a trumpet player. I was never good. I was a woodwind. But so I'm going to say you don't love camping. Tronos, what's your i feel like i'm leaning that way as well and i want to believe that he told us he's not good at lying as a lie to throw us off but that being said i'm gonna say the camping as well to be fair you both nailed it absolutely i despise camping i just don't like it it's the sitting around or seeing the dirt i don't know i just don't do it i don't like it but the the working out yes i love working out about an hour every six days a week gotta give myself a break day and then um yes total band geek 12 years playing trumpet and now i just play trumpet for my kids <laughs> or uh, i play guitar for my kids <laughs> so i i support i support the band geek i was one myself i think trinos can relate to your camping feelings i'm a big camper and i've taken him out before and i don't know trinos how'd you feel about that uh, throwback to our first episode of the podcast but yes Claudia and I and our other friend Gob lasted uh, 30 minutes into our camping trip in Hawaii because we had to turn around because I freaked out. <laughs> so yes. I'm a more of a glamper, I will say. Like, if there is a comfortable, like, place to sleep and there's not too many bugs, I'm game. Otherwise, yeah, I, I'm neither here nor there. Yeah, Trinos, it, it, it's called a hotel. Yeah, <laughs> that's what I'm saying. Let's just go to a hotel. I completely let's just skip the nature part and go to a fancy hotel. We could be out in the wilderness, you know, during the day, but at night, you know, like why do we have hotels for a reason? <laughs> I completely agree, and I think we just uh, got out of a hundred blurpees, Claudia. So I think we're we're in the clear. 
Yes. I might need to do them. I think they'll be good for me. But... <laughs> <laughs> okay, but yeah, good to know a little bit more about you, Justin. But kind of going more into your profession, let us know how you got into PT, what your specialized field is in, like what what is your day to day? Yeah. Um, well, my day to day as a PT might be a little bit different than others, but I will I will share anyway. Um, first off, I got into PT because I had no idea what I wanted to do in life. And my mom, who is a, a career counselor, said, Justin, you got to pick something. And I thought about it, thought about it, thought about it. And the more I thought about it, I really enjoyed not only physical, physical activity, but I also enjoyed healthcare, helping people in general. And for me, I thought to myself, what's a nice way I could combine these things? And that came to physical therapy. And I got a chance to observe physical therapists. And I loved a couple things about the profession. One is that you really got a chance to help people feel better, improve their function, improve what they're doing, especially people that couldn't walk, couldn't stand, and those types of things. And then I loved the medical aspect to it. I loved that it was, over the years, PT has evolved from this place of being a little more of like a, you know, rehabilitation in World War One. I, I think is where things kind of got started. And as, you know, kind of the time progressed, it became more and more and more of a, of a profession that really need dedicated healthcare professionals. And so I love how the uh, world of physical therapy has expanded. And, you know, even as we are now here in 2023, uh, a lot of folks have kind of seen physical therapy go from this, you know, aren't you a personal trainer to like, oh, yeah, I need to go see my physical therapist. And so um, we see a lot of changes in, in, in the field, which is exciting and would like to think I have a very, very, very small amount of impact on that. Um, as far as my day-to-day, um, you know, I, I practiced and saw patients in person for probably the better part of 10 years. And then when um, COVID hit, I actually transferred a lot of my practice to virtual. So I primarily see patients virtually, although I do have a team in office where people can go in and, and get hands-on care and things like that. And so primarily what my day-to-day is in terms of seeing patients remotely is I do a lot of consults. I do a lot of um, evaluations and I do a lot of directing people in terms of overall their plan and care. So a lot of what my practice is, is for example, if we evaluate your knee, the two of you are mentioning running. So if you have runner's knee, for example, or patellofemoral pain syndrome or pain, pain under your kneecap, you know, what we do is design a plan, okay, we need you to do these corrective exercises, or okay, first, we need to make sure we x-ray that and make sure you're not fractured or, you know, have any, or, you know, long-term arthritis there, whatever it is. But if we're all in the clear, you know, then, you know, making sure you got a plan, like, corrective exercises, stretching, things like that. And so certainly that's part of my day. And then the other part of my day is I teach at University of the Pacific, and then I also teach at UC San Francisco. And so I teach in a couple different capacities, but I teach primarily first-year students, and those first-year students, you know, they're kind of getting their feet under them, especially with the UC students. It's sometimes learning the basics, like applying kinesiology, applying some of the aspects of, of kind of fundamental PT, and how do we translate some of the base sciences into what is relevant for clinical practice. And then uh, lastly, I also teach PTs about continuing education, specifically about running and that's how I got introduced to the two of you. And so I teach PTs about how to evaluate runners and how to help um, address their issues and make them better runners, but also keep them safer. So a little bit of a rant, but that's what I do on a, on a bigger scale. Now, that's good to know. That's really good context for us as well, because we were like kind of hoping to speak to someone who is like in the running world and specific to it. 
So you're kind of the perfect person to talk to. Are you a runner yourself, by the way? Are you, do you do like marathons as well or? Well, my wife is the one that is really the marathoner. She's way much more of a natural runner. In fact, a little bit of a, a silly joke or not joke, but a little bit of a tidbit. Uh, my wife and I, when we first met, she was recovering from an injury. And as she recovered, we took a couple runs together. And then I could keep up, or actually I was running faster than her in the beginning, but it was very clear not too far into this that she was a much faster and better runner than I did. So it spurred some competition with me. So I was like, I got to get running again. So I started running again, and now uh, we luckily can enjoy some runs together, and I don't get left in the dust quite as bad. But uh, I usually run about two, three times a week. My norm is usually about seven miles. I can go up to the half marathon distance, but anything over 13, it's too long, too, you know, I start losing interest. So, um, or it's just just hard. And so I I very much am a, I I love running. I I enjoy trail running. I enjoy road running. But um, yeah, running's running's been always something that I've, I've, nothing gives you a good workout like do you think there's like any specific physical like features or I don't know how to ask this question that makes people like a little bit more naturally attuned to running versus what might make it a little bit more challenging for someone else? Just kind of curious. Yeah, I mean, if you look at the, the the mechanics of running, what you oftentimes see is that, I mean, it's obviously lower leg, lower extremity focused, right? And so... Running, in terms of running economy, we oftentimes think of just how easy is it for you to run in general. And at the physics of everything, if you just look at things like the, what's called ground reaction forces, forces coming up through the ground, going through your body, what you want to be cognizant of is how much impact you are putting on your body. That is usually a limiting factor for folks, either whether it's because you're going to get tired, because you're just not running efficiently, or if because you're getting an injury, because, again, you're not running efficiently or it's harder for you to run. So a lot of times the features that we kind of see is people with a decent amount of lower extremity strength, so strong quadriceps, strong hamstrings, strong hips, strong legs, calves, those kinds of things. But then also we normally do see those folks that are on the thinner side just being a little bit easier runners because they just don't carry as much weight in their upper half of their body. And so it's not to say that people that are more built or people that have more weight can't run. That is definitely not the case. But when we talk about people that are maybe more natural, more inclined to run, we usually see it's those folks that are just a little lighter on the, on the top. That makes sense. Justin, I was fishing for an excuse as to why I might be a bit slower than trans outside of training. (laughs) (laughs) Well, actually, one of the things that we see really indicates how well or how fast someone can run is how much power and how much strength they have, especially those lower extremities. So one of the things I'm really passionate about is a lot of people think to themselves, oh, I am just not a natural runner, or I can't run anymore, or I ran too much early on, or running just hurts And one of the things that is a common misconception is that people think, well, I just am not a natural runner, which means I can't do it. And whether you naturally are a good runner or not, what we usually see is a big deciding factor is that people need power out of their lower extremity. So not only strength to do things like a single leg squat, or some people would call it a pistol squat, or 
you know, being able to have the strength to be able to to hold your body into that running position. Because if we think about it, every step when you run is kind of like a mini single leg squat, right? Do that for an hour, you're going to get pretty tired. So a lot of times it's isolating those muscles, getting them stronger. And it can be as simple as just holding a little kettlebell and doing a single leg jump for 30 times a day. Believe it or not, that will probably get you to be a faster runner over the course of even just a couple of weeks. Do you have like a kind of on that note, do you have like a top three maybe exercises that would be good for us to strengthen our legs? Absolutely. Doing them right is a whole different story, but we won't get on that soapbox today because I know the two of you would never do anything wrong. I know that. Of course. (laughs) Now I can sleep at night. So what I would say is single leg jumps or single leg hops, just hopping in place is a big one. That's going to help you get your calf stronger. It's going to help you get, you know, your foot stronger, arch support, all those great things. The other thing that I really love are, as I mentioned before, single leg squats. Single leg squats are a great way to be able to get the strength out of your quadricep, out of your gluteus maximus, or kind of the butt muscle. And then also um, it, it creates a lot of mobility too, because when you squat, you have to have flexibility of your calf as well. And then lastly, the, the last thing would be like a lateral lunge. So like taking a step to the side, squatting down with that same side you're stepping with, what that's going to do is it's going to strengthen the outside of your hips as well. And if we look at your hips, you kind of think of like, you have your tushy in the back. Yes, I call the butt the tushy. Um, You have your tushy in the back, and then you think of like the side of your tushy, what most people would call like the part of their hip. That's called the gluteus medius, so it's the muscle on the very outside of your hip. And that muscle is going to be really helpful to strengthen because it controls your knee quite a lot. So the more you can control your knee, it really helps you to stay away from some of these running injuries like patellofemoral pain syndrome or runner's knee or pain under the kneecap or even just pain in the IT band if you're familiar with that area as well. Now that's helpful to know. And Claudia, I can confirm that my body type is not the ideal one. The amount of aches that I get post-run, my body is definitely not meant for this. But no, we'll definitely try one of those exercises just to strengthen up a little bit. Does that also tie into avoiding injury? Because I always, always am on the fence about, you know, pushing myself to get a little stronger versus I'm going to listen to my body and like stop and like slow down. How do we know where to draw that line? That's a great question. I wish I had the answer for you, but I'm going to do my best to be able to answer it. You know, avoiding injury is a huge thing when it comes to runners. And here's the trends that I notice are some of the biggest things when it comes to avoiding injury. Number one, a lot of people get injured when they try to go faster rather than go longer at a slower speed. So especially going faster before you're ready to go faster or a good indicator is like if you go faster and you just notice you're a lot more sore afterwards, that's your body telling you that something is not as happy. So we kind of think of running in two camps. There's like the long distance runners that go forever, but they go pretty slow. And then there's the people that go a little faster and maybe go for a shorter distance. So usually we see more injuries with the folks that go faster, even at a shorter distance, because if you think about it, it's kind of like, I've used this analogy a lot and I don't know if it ever really works, but it's kind of like taking your car and trying to go as fast as you possibly can. And, you know, after a while, your car is like, hey, I can't do that. It breaks down. Whereas if you kind of go slow and gentle, you kind of just take it a little slower over the speed bumps. You don't really go that fast. Your car is probably going to 
lasts a little bit longer, right? Same with your body. You're, I mean, physical therapy is kind of like, you know, being a mechanic for the human body a little bit, right? In a sense, the faster you go, the more stress you put on your body, a little bit slower is going to be a little more gentle. The other thing people tend to think of is when they're running, well, a couple of things. I mean, we can talk about this a lot, but one of the things that you can also think about is when you're running, listening to your body and taking breaks. If you are really tired and if you notice you're just so tired that you kind of feel like your arms are swinging all over the place, your knees are swinging all over the place, you're kind of, you're barely kind of going for that next step, most likely you need to walk for a minute or maybe two minutes or just take a break. And honestly, it doesn't make that much of a difference when it comes to your overall outcomes with what you're doing with running. You're still getting great outcomes because at the end of the day, it's more time and distance based rather than just trying to run continuously. So again, being really tired usually breaks down your form. That form can usually cause some type of negative impact. And then lastly, the thing I'll hear over and over again is I just tried to ramp up too fast. I had a race coming up. I wanted to make sure I could run that race. So I went from running two miles to seven miles every day. And then, you know, the following week, I decided I was just going to run the, the half marathon. And, you know, the most common injuries tend to be shin splints or medial tibial stress syndrome, which is like a a little either aggravation of the muscles around your shin and the front of your shin, or in the worser case, we have a stress fracture in your your tibia, that main shin button going down your leg. Some of the other ones tend to be that pain under the kneecap, um, you know, patellofemoral pain syndrome. And... um, IT band syndrome is another big one. And then, uh, believe it or not, ankle sprains and Achilles issues are pretty common as well. What's the worst injury you've ever, like, encountered where you're like, oof, this is going to be a process to recover from? Yeah, believe it. It wouldn't be the ones you'd think. Like, there's all the traumatic injuries. You know, I fell when I was running. I broke my femur or you know i broke my my tibia and fibula um and i needed to you know put rods in they needed to put rods and you know pins and things like that believe it or not those injuries don't tend to be the worst there are some very complex ones so certainly if you get an injury and that changes your bone structure it's very hard if your bone structure changes to be able to run safely just because you have wear and tear now being put in different places and your body wasn't really designed to work that way Kind of outside of those injuries, the the worst ones that are actually are kind of those nagging issues that never seem to go away. For example, sometimes people run in a way that is just not really conducive to their health. Mm -hmm. And their body just doesn't really like that way that they're running. And that's why when it comes to running and a running gait analysis, it's so important to look at the person, take strength measurements, take flexibility or mobility measurements, take, you know, what they can do and how that is looking when they run. And so to make a long-winded answer a little bit shorter, I would say the hardest thing to, re- to, to recover for or the worst injuries tend to be the ones that just continue to recur, continue to recur. A good example of that are we talked about IT band issues. We talked about patellofemoral pain syndrome or pain under the kneecap. You know, even ankle sprains can pop up again and again and again or shin splints. And so oftentimes we'll approach runners with a couple different ways. One, we'll work on gait retraining or changing the way people run. We'll also try to improve their strength, improve their mobility. 
And then also we'll, we'll sometimes get them in different running shoes or things like that. And so there's a lot of options and there's more and more research than ever before about how to help runners. And it used to just kind of be, well, I can't run. Well, I guess I'm not a runner. But there's a lot of options now. And, and what it comes down to is really doing in-depth analysis of how that person moves and what their anatomy makeup is and how we can fix those deficits to make sure that they can run safely. You know, what's interesting to me is that you have so many different sports out there, basketball, soccer, tennis, and you always have a coach, but I think that sometimes running people just kind of wake up and go outside and run that day. And it's not necessarily seen as something that needs a coach. How do you kind of like reframe that mentality for people? Or do you think it needs to be reframed? I actually don't think it needs to be reframed. I think that there's a lot of sports people can do without a problem. They, you know, a lot of people play soccer, don't have a coach, but yes, I would say organized sports tend to have a coach much more often. And, and oftentimes that comes from a place of you need to work together as a team. You need to be able to know the actual skill, for example, how to kick that soccer ball correctly or how to hit the tennis ball correctly, whatever it is. Running as a whole doesn't really feel that way because of a couple of things. Most of us know how to run already. And we kind of learned that as kids. And so you never really think to yourself, oh, I need to have someone take a look at the way I'm running or I need to have someone coach me on how I run. The other thing is it's a pretty low barrier to entry. You don't even really need shoes, although that's a little debatable. I'm going to tell you to go run with shoes. What we call shod running um, is much safer than barefoot running. Barefoot running took off in the early two, 2010s, and we saw a huge increase of, of shin and stress fractures in people's bodies. And unfortunately, there's a lot of misinformation out there. And certainly, there's some people that may be a little more inclined to be able to run without shoes, but for most of us, Run with shoes. But, you know, it's a low barrier to entry. You get a pair of shoes, you go run, and you run as long as you'd like or can, and that's pretty much it. However, what I would encourage people to kind of reframe their, their mindset with is especially as if you run more or if you want to be someone that is a distance runner, to get the way you're running looked at. And I'm obviously biased because I do a lot of running game analysis. But get the information of how you're running. And even if you're starting with even just someone at a running shoe store taking a look at the way you run, that's better than nothing. But while there is a lot of misinformation out there, you know, having your running analyzed can go really far. Because what we see is so many risk factors to getting people hurt that a lot of them can be avoided. So I do actually think there's a little bit of reframing to think of. And that is if you are going to participate in more endurance running or sprint-based running, one of the things that are, really can be helpful for you is to get it analyzed, but also to work on some of those deficits that are the prevention aspect because it can avoid so many injuries. And that's where kind of the element of analysis can be helpful because let's say you are going to go play tennis or you're going to go play soccer you know you may not go out there and just go oh well i'm just going to run towards both the goals i'm just going to you know be the only person on the team you obviously need to play in in, in harmony and so kind of with running you need your body in harmony when you run otherwise you're at risk to play the sport wrong quote unquote 
Yeah, I feel like that low barrier to entry is kind of what I want to say scares me when it comes to running because at least for me, even running a marathon, I just kind of went into it. It's not like, you know, I looked at a million videos on how to run properly. It's just more like, oh, well, this seems like the way to do it and just kind of keep going along. And if I were doing it wrong initially, I would never know. And so that's also part of my fear is like I'm probably, in my mind, I'm running perfectly fine. But like people observing me might think I'm like, like looking like a little goofy running or something like that. But yeah, I'm very curious, like, would we be able to trust ourselves if we're just, you know, running initially off the bat? Or what are the easiest ways to kind of get like a second opinion uh, on good running for him? Yeah, one of the best things that you can do is actually if if you if you're running and you want some advice, one of the best things you can do is, I mean, in my opinion, go talk to a PT. And you don't need, you know, to get a referral. You can say, "Hey, I'm looking for a consultation. I'm I'm just looking for, you know, a, an analysis on if I'm a risk factor when I run," and and they'll know what to do with you. So, you know, I do think going and getting yourself assessed by a PT is, is a great place to, to start. The other thing you could do is obviously talk to your primary care about it. They might direct you more towards the sports medicine field, which, you know, rather than doing an assessment yourself, but they'll probably have a resource for you of some way, shape, or form. Now, usually people reach out, especially if they're in pain during those times. The thing that I would say most people do is they contact a personal trainer or they contact, you know, a coach or something like that. And those are great resources too. And so I would just say like anything, do your research, find someone that you trust, find someone that you feel is giving you good advice and make sure that that advice is something that is going to be helping you reach your goals. But certainly I would say the contact points kind of start to go personal trainer or, you know, coach those tend to be a, a good place to start. And then if the issues either don't feel like they're resolving or if you have more questions or you feel like you're still at risk or want a more in-depth analysis, you know, you can kind of move through the, the, the list of options for you. But that is part of the problem is that a lot of people don't know where to go to get advice. And there's a ton of incorrect advice out there. You, uh, you mentioned the barefoot movement, like increasing in 2010 so that instantly made me look up when born to run was written which was 2009 so yeah that was that was the book that i read that i remember like that's why i got into running it just was very inspiring but they do talk a lot about the barefoot movement so i think too though you know the the, that book is fantastic it's absolutely a wonderful book to to use. Um, I think the interesting thing about it is there is elements of feeling your form that are really helpful, especially with barefoot. And I will have patients go and run on the grass or something to kind of feel how their foot is landing on the ground. We caution people to make of really big form changes usually do have some connection to an injury of some sort. So we want to be really careful with how much you're changing the way you run. The thing that I didn't like about the book is that while I do feel like it helps people understand and feel the way they're running a lot better, the downside tends to be that not everyone is a four-foot runner. A lot of people actually are rear-foot runner. That's absolutely safe. That's fine. There's risks to four-foot running. There's risks to rear-foot running. Four-foot running, you have more chances of stress fractures. Rear-foot running, you have more chances to hurt your knee or hurt your hips or things like that. It's just a different 
risk factor and it depends if your body is kind of the makeup that is going to be beneficial for one or the other. That makes sense. My big takeaway from that too, was we have very different lifestyles. You know, a lot more of us sit for the majority of the day and like the types of shoes that we wear is very different. So if you try to make that big change, like years later, after already having certain habits or ways that you like live your life, it is kind of different. So I think, I think that makes sense. I just wanted, I was hoping you could debunk a, something that I hear pretty commonly when it comes to running and maybe it's true, maybe it's false, but like what I also hear is like, oh, you shouldn't only run for so long or that's not a hobby I'd get into because long running has no longevity. Is that something that you agree with? Like, oh, maybe when I'm at 50 or so, my knees will be buckling in and my hips won't be the same. What are your thoughts on how to run for a long period of time without it having, you know, permanent effects. One of the biggest things is to have the strength to be able to, uh, to do all those things. So for example, um, if you're going to go run, you kind of, it's like putting money in the bank. You need to do the work to be able to afford the ability to go back. And that is a hard thing because there's a lot of sports you can do that don't have a lot of risk. But with running in particularly, you hear a lot of people say, well, you know, I'm just too old to run or I'm not, I'm not, you know, I have patients that run into their 90s. I mean, I have I, I, people easily run into their 50s, 60s, 70s. And so certainly I think it's one of those misconceptions out there that it's, oh, well, that's not a longevity sport for me. And certainly there is more impact when you run. So if you don't have the strength to support that, it's going to be really hard. It's not going to feel good to run. So that's why I say things like we talked about, those single leg jumps or even just heel raises, I mean, squats, um, lunges, all those things can help so much because they strengthen those common areas that then get hurt with the impact running. So what I would say is for people that are concerned that, you know, maybe they're going to get arthritis from running too much or their body's going to break down because they ran too much, usually those things happen because you didn't have the strength to go run in the first place. You shouldn't have been running in the first place. Just like any other sports, running is a more intense sport. And so just like other intense sports, you kind of have to be able to afford to go do them. What I would say is that if you are going to run, I think it's an important thing to make sure you're doing some strength training of some sort, making sure you're safe when you run, and then listen to your body. If you're hurting after you run, that's a good opportunity to go talk to someone about it, go get professional advice and hopefully help you not feel that way after you run. So as we're heading into the winter months, Justin, I'm a big outdoor runner, but it was downpouring all week in Seattle where I'm at. So I was doing a lot more stuff at the gym. Do you have any thoughts between going from like outdoor trail or road running to like the treadmill? Yeah, there, there's not a lot, you know, most people say that outdoor running, well, first off, outdoor running, if you're running on concrete or asphalt, does tend to be the highest impact. Over going away from and saying that that impact is that significantly difference, different, it truly is, I mean, the amount of pressure you put through your body when you run isn't going to be affected that much by the surface you're running on. The big thing on treadmills tends to be that it's a more narrow area to run and so you don't have a lot of opportunities to go left or right or kind of run outside of a straight line 
So, and some people have a little bit of an issue with, you know, getting used to running on it just because, I mean, it's a belt that's running underneath your body and you don't want to trip and fall from a, you know, kind of basic perspective. So with a treadmill, I always would say find a treadmill that is good quality. You know, they have rounded treadmills. I don't think those do much of anything. But find one that you're comfortable with, whether it's a little bit wider or maybe a little more narrow or has a certain you know, type of uh, surface that you're running on. Find one that's comfortable for you and also one that doesn't skip. Some of the ones at the gym certainly will have that skipping to them and that can certainly be a little more apprehensive when you run. So I think treadmill running is great. It actually tends to be a little safer because it's a very neutral, flat surface. It just sometimes takes a little practice to be able to run on it comfortably. I'm curious if you're able to find one that has a decline. Uh, Justin, FYI, our run is actually going downhill. So Ooh. that might get you a little more prepped for it. But yeah, I, I was thinking they have inclines, but I've never seen one that kind of goes the other way around. You know, I would say flat is the, the way to go. Some decline treadmills can certainly be, I don't know, a lot of decline treadmills out there. And <laughs> some might have a capability, but... I don't know him off the top. <laughs> Sounds kind of, I would be a little nervous to be on a downhill treadmill. I don't know. Yeah. I don't love treadmills at all. I think it's boring, but I understand when it's like buckets pouring outside, it might be the better option, you know? Yeah. You want to stay away from things like your clothes chafing on you and things like that. And obviously you can wear like band-aids and you can wear, you know, supportive bandages to help like those hot spot areas. But you know, when you're wet and you're running, it also puts a lot of slippery surface on your feet and in your shoes. And so some grippy your supportive socks can help with that. But, you know, it does create more elements of, of movement, which is a little bit hard. All right. And then for the day of the race, can you give us any, like, last-minute prep tips? We're definitely drinking champagne the night before. That's a non-negotiable. But <laughs> I joke from another conversation we had. <laughs> um, biggest biggest thing would be making sure that you're you, you have nutrition that you have your body. You know, as far as before the race, uh, just make sure that you're you know walking around that you're warm. You don't have to stretch. Stretching before you run is actually causes more injuries, so you don't have to stretch. But certainly making sure that you're moving around that you're mobile that you're you're warmed up is really important so walking doing a little light jogging like maybe a couple minutes worth is fine and then you're probably moving around so much before you race anyway that you're probably good to go but hydration and nutrients are just essential and so that is one of the biggest things if your body is not fed it will break down you will not run well so, you know, roughly every 45 minutes to an hour, even some people say 30 minutes is a good idea to have a little bit of something, you know, carbohydrates, protein are all important things to take on. So that's that something to nutrition, but yeah. No, for sure. That's, that's something I struggle with too. Cause I'm like, I want to eat more of course to energize my body, but at the same time, I feel so full if I have like a large meal before running, is there a way to kind of combat that? I would eat a far in, you know, pretty good in advance. I'd eat a ton. I'd pretty much bring on as much breakfast, not as much as you can, but a, a good size, healthy breakfast. But I'd do it with, you know, like an hour and a half before the race. So that way you're ready to go. You're nice and full. It's kind of like that settled in feeling of being like full, but not overly full. It's not in your stomach. It's more kind of through your system a little bit. And that can be very, 
good device to use. Kiraz, we're going to be waking up at 3.30 a.m. to... <laughs> this is true. <laughs> Timing-wise, yeah, we have to eat literally, like, at midnight at this point, but it's worth it. Well, this was great information. Thanks so much for chatting with us, Justin. Yeah, thank you so much, Justin. This was so much fun. Oh, my gosh. I'll chat with you guys all day long. I'd rather do this than my real job. <laughs> we definitely appreciate all the advice. Thank you so much for having me join. And if there's anything else I can do, please let me know. Okay. Well, definitely appreciated Justin hopping on the call and spending some time with us. I think one of the biggest things that I'm taking away from this, especially because I'm pretty nervous coming up to this run, is you know, we talked a little bit about injuries. And from his experience and expertise. He really was sharing that most injuries happen when you're trying to run faster or increase your speed rather than duration and like, you know, just like more miles. So anytime that I'm not feeling super great or super confident, I know I'm going to kind of like remember that because I'm a little nervous about injury mm -hmm. and know that it's not so much the miles I can always slow down and I should be able to be okay. So that's kind of my biggest takeaway. It's kind of creating this nice reminder because I'm feeling a little nervous about, obviously we want to finish the race, but we want to finish it in feeling good. So, yeah. Yeah, 100%. I agree. I th you don't want to be injuring yourself during or after the race. Yeah, I think my takeaway from Justin is he kind of created something I think we've heard in the past where it's, really not detrimental to run into the long term. I think he said he's worked with people that have run into their 60s and 70s. And it's exciting to hear about the longevity of running if you do it right. And so that's kind of my, my hope is to kind of get into this and do it the right way in a way that's sustainable to my body. Also interesting to hear him say that we, it's, it's detrimental to stretch right before the race. That's definitely something I feel like I do off the bat. So all those little pre-race things, I think I'm going to take into account as well. A good diet, uh, don't overstretch, and it should, it should go pretty well. But yeah, he was a very insightful person to have on the podcast. So super, super excited that he was able to join us. All right. Well, that's it for this week's episode. Thank you so much for listening to In It For The Long Run. When you hear from Claudia and I next, we're going to be post-run, hopefully in one piece. But yes, keep us in your thoughts and prayers. <laughs> thoughts and prayers, yes. Thank you for everyone who's listened thus far, and we will see you after the finish line. <laughs>